we get our first in-depth conversation with Emmett Jones. And the first time this year we get to talk to Sooner defensive coordinator Brandon Hall, Sooner alum. Hey, you know, there's a good one. Let's just start with the top five stories today, shall we? And, and by that, on a Monday, it's a little bit different, right, Josh? A little bit different. We call it top five takeaways slash reactions slash storylines from Saturday that we carry over to a Monday show, and it's brought to you by Newcastle Casino. It's time for the top five stories of the day. Brought to you by Newcastle Casino. Newcastle Casino, where real gamers play. Let's go, man. All right, Newcastle Casino. You know them. You love them. I-44, Action 102. NewcastleCasino.com. Absolutely, positively the best reels in the Metro. 14 table games, happy hour, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Check them out at Newcastle Casino. Big story number five. Number five. By big story, I mean big takeaway. Um, I want to talk about individuals, Josh, on the defense. And forgive me if big story number five goes a little long, but here we go. I want to read a text from the 402. One takeaway from Saturday, I'm afraid Reggie Pearson has been Wally Pipped, whether that's Key or Peyton. Me and Key Lawrence or Peyton Bowen. Um, I, there, was, there was much, much more on this text that I'll get to here in a second. Dude, Key Lawrence looked great. Playing some really good football. One of those names that uh... – throughout the offseason and really throughout the course of last season forgot about, right? Right. Or, or in some circles and instances, I think kind of gave up on. Absolutely. Um, I had had in my own head some concerns about the secondary. There was a couple of moments against Tulsa last week. I mean, we don't have to relive them, but – Reggie Pearson getting beat on the the out and up, the miscommunication on a, a drop eight play where a receiver got wide open. But to me, I thought, I thought the secondary was fantastic. Desan McCullough looked awesome in the cheetah position. Had had just the one 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 play, one yep. big coverage bust, but that wheel that wheel route. Yep, and that's those things are going to happen here and there. But did you notice who was coming in for him on passing plays? Kendall Dolby was coming in at the cheetah position. And I thought, I thought that was awesome. I mean, listen, I, I get it. We're not going to sit here and have revisionist history every time a guy that's a, a, P, a depth piece comes in and makes a play. But could you imagine being down a starting safety and a starting secondary player Prior to this year, I mean, you're doomed. It's like, what do we do? What what do we do? You're you're down two guys in the secondary, like you were with Reggie Pearson, who's viewed as a starter, and Justin Harrington. And what happens? McCullough gets healthy, steps up, plays well, well. Um. And secondly. Kendall Dolby 
comes in on those passing plays, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's it's really exciting to see that they have depth pieces. Now, again, things that I see sometimes go opposite of what the coaches feel. I, I might sit here and tell you, dude, let me tell you something. Kittle Dolby looked great out there. And then lo and behold, he's the guy getting ripped over on the sidelines. <laughs> or uh, Peyton Bowen seemed like he was in the right spot, and lo and behold, he's not in the right spot. He just happened to maybe get a little lucky. The greatest example of that was what Deshaun White last year, whenever he had that uh, near interception, and he comes like, well, I wasn't supposed to be there. But it seemed to me, Josh, with thine very uneducated eyes, that the secondary played pretty well. Billy Bowman seemed to have a good game. Peyton Bowen seemed to have a good game. Minus a couple starters, I felt like they looked really, really solid. And, listen, it goes without saying, Danny Stutzman has been an animal. He makes that shift from Will to Mike when Kanick gets hurt, and he looks fine. And, you know, Kanick finished uh, with seven tackles. Might have been, again, I don't know. I'm sure Brent Venables would have a different take, and we'll find out tonight. But at least from the post-game buzz, after we found, okay, it looks like he's going to be okay, it seemed as if he played one of his better games. Absolutely it looked like it, no doubt. Those are individuals. Now, speaking of individuals, number four. Number four. How do we get Nick Anderson on the field more? What does it take? Is it completely moving away from from trying to get a tight end out there? I don't know. But I just I just feel like Josh, every single time, every single time that he's on the field, good things happen. He had the couple of catches and the touchdown pass on Saturday coming off the three touchdown performance the week before. I know there's only so many targets to go around, and we'll hit another solid performance coming up here in just a bit. But more Anderson and Gibson. Now, Andrew Anthony had seven catches. Drake Stoops had six. Farouk had two. Maybe should have had a third, right? But I don't know how you do it. Go make it happen. I want to see more Nick Anderson and more Jane Gibson. I thought they looked great. Especially the carryover for Nick Anderson. You know, you had the big breakout performance where you go grab three touchdowns and uh, what, have a buck 20, and then to to come back and show that you could be productive again is uh, important. And probably, yes, mm-hmm. they need to find a way to get him more snaps. If that means getting rid of some of the tight end sets, which, frankly, for this team, for one reason or another, just haven't been altogether super productive yet, then uh, probably that's something they need to explore. Agreed. Um, but more Nick Anderson. That's it. That's all for number four. <laughs> I can't think of any other way to put it. Give me more Nick Anderson, and I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more Jaden Gibson. Number three. Number three. Oh. No other way to put this except how good is Andrew Anthony? Right? I, I just, you know, Bob, Bob Stoops. Brent Venable said it the other day whenever he was, I think it was his Tuesday press conference which, by the way, we'll have for you tomorrow at 11.30 a.m. right here on The Ref. The 
the fact that he wasn't involved in Michigan is still kind of head-scratching. I mean, he was out there, and he played a lot of snaps, but Josh, he just didn't get the ball thrown to him. And I don't know if that was by design. I don't know what it was. But I talked to him after the game, and we were just, you know, going back and forth for the radio network. And it was, hey, man, so when you come here and you have a game like this, what does it mean? And you know what his response was? Opportunity. I just I want an opportunity. And he's getting it, and he's making the most of it. But you're talking about a guy, seven catches, 117 yards, just seems to catch and knock on wood, right? Seems to catch everything thrown his way. I can't wait to talk about him today with Emmett Jones. But now that's his, that's his second straight 100-yard receiving game. He's had seven or more catches in two of his four games, and he's averaging almost 20 yards per catch. He's been, as Denny Green would say, who he thought he was. And, again, like I don't know how he graded out blocking-wise, but it seems as if he's incredible as a downfield blocker. Like, it seems as if, I think Gabe said in our postgame, it's like he has vice grips for his hands. Seems incredible as a blocker. But just as, you know, big takeaway number three, I know that's back-to-back thoughts on wide receiver, but, man, Andrew Anthony, what an addition he has been to a receiving room that was high on talent, ceiling high, but low on production. Yeah, that's one thing that collectively Oklahoma receivers do a pretty good job of is, uh, and have for a while, you know, pretty this coaching staff, uh, they they do a good job blocking on on the perimeter. But the, the catch uh, that Andrew Anthony made, Plank, uh, I would term it an NFL grab. That was a professional grab where he's so clearly getting interfered with. And uh, you know what? At the professional level, no excuses. Got to go make a got to go make a tough contested catch, and he found a way to still come down with it. So no, he's been uh, a big time get for Oklahoma, and he's been from really week one on. We said out of week one, okay, well he might finish as Oklahoma's leading receiver, or is going to be right there in that conversation. He's done nothing but continue to back that up since. No, I agree. I agree. All right, um, what number are we on? Are we on number, number two. two? Okay, number two. Number two. Uh, I, I still don't know who is the number one running back. Nor do I think it really matters. I feel like the question more people have at that position is where saw Chuck at Barnes, right? I think that's that's the overriding question there. You know, it's I I think Tywee Walker has looked incredible when given his opportunity. I know people are going to feel how they're going to feel about Marcus Major, but we haven't seen Hicks or Smothers make the trip this weekend. Smothers did against Tulsa. Hicks did not. So I don't think there's anyone magically coming out of the the locker room to help him out. (laughs) But I I mean, again, I know we all are drunk off what we saw in a good way in the in the bowl game. Cheese it bowl. I mean, but there's a reason they're not out there. I mean DeMarco Murray knows a good running back better than you or I do sitting around watching it. So whatever reason that we're not seeing Sawchuck or Barnes or at least didn't see Barnes this weekend, there's gotta be a reason for it. Has to be. So I'm not freaking out about it. I think the 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 backs work in conjunction with with the line, which you know, had some struggles but appeared to do a pretty good job this weekend. I don't know, Josh, I'm not 
I'm not concerned about it. I don't know if you need to find a number one. I don't think they're hiding anyone for Texas. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that eventually someone's going to rise and be that dude that'll be more of a, you know, 18 to 20 to 22 carry kind of a guy as opposed to just, you know, six here, five there, four there with the running back position. Really need somebody to emerge and uh, or just the running game itself to pick up and go put a really productive day together out there before Texas. Yep. I mean, the OU-Texas game, uh, I'll give my uh, way-too-obvious takeaway <laughs> a week early. Oklahoma's got to get the running game figured out. I mean, it is what it is. They got to be effective versus Texas. And I know you got Iowa State before that. Iowa State, I'm looking at it right now. They're 47th nationally in run defense. That's a pretty good defense for Iowa State. Uh, One of the better defenses nationally. So we're going to get an idea this week if Oklahoma's corrected some things offensively, particularly in the run game. But the OU-Texas game, the, the stat year after year after year bears it out, Plank. Whoever runs the football better, Wins the OU Texas game. So Oklahoma needs to, uh, whatever it is, if it's the running backs that's getting the bulk of the carries, if it's offensive line, if it's a collection of all of it, it needs to get straightened out and they need to straighten it out in a hurry. Agreed. Agreed. Um, number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. I, well, and, you know, Eric and Lindsay, by the way, um, I, I, I do like, speaking of, of running back, the, I don't, let, let me just read this real quick because I do think it's a fair point since we were talking about this before we get to number one. And actually, Eric, I just happened to pop this up and it popped up and I think it's a great point. Uh, defensive conversation, like the defense being legit is number one. He writes the defense was incredible and has been the most consistent with this team. The offense has been good, not great, and it's mainly because of the lack of consistency. I don't think it has anything to do with Dylan Gabriel and everything to do with Jeff Levy and his play and personnel decisions. Again, it hasn't been bad, but it's time to figure out the identity and build on it. And that's the key word in all of that. Identity. Identity, Josh. What is the identity of this offense? Is it the deep ball? Well, they kind of went away from that against SMU. Is it the ability to just ground and pound if necessary? Okay, they showed they could do that against SMU and at times against Cincinnati. Notice I'm not including Arkansas State in any of this conversation. Nor should you. But can you be amoeba-like? Can you have a more fluid identity? Or do people need – we're talking about an offense here, people. Let's not make this political. But can you have a fluid identity? I mean, does it have to be this is who we are and this is what we do? Because against teams that are going to shut down your run – and do everything to do it, Oklahoma will throw it over the top of you. And they've got a dude in Dylan Gabriel that can get it there, and a guy in Andrew Anthony that can go up and get it. All right, well, we're going to take away the deep ball, and we're going to force you to run it. Okay, that's that's one area where it took Oklahoma a while to get there against SMU, but Tywee Walker was that guy. I, I don't know. It's a very interesting point, man. It got me thinking, Eric. But I don't know how important that truly is, Josh. To have that, like, this is our identity, this is who we are. I think it's okay to be a little bit of everything. And maybe that's off take, I don't know. No, it's it's a fair point. And if we had to 
say what we think Oklahoma's offensive identity is right now. I think a lot of fans would say, well, the identity is they're not running the football effectively enough, right? <laughs> right. It'd be a, probably a negative identity. But Andrew Anthony, Farouk, a couple of nice receivers. Uh, I mean, what is the identity? I, I don't even know what direction I would take that. I don't either. I did not. I don't either. It's a good question. It's amoeba-like, man. They can do a little bit of everything. Number one, I think, is, is just this is stat-based, and I think most of you would agree with me. I don't think we need to fight online about this. But Mike Houck tweeted out these numbers. Oklahoma's national defensive rankings four games in. They are top 35 in total defense. They are 26th in the country in rushing defense, allowing just 94 yards per game. Top 15 in pass efficiency defense. They're the 11th-ranked team in the country in third-down defense and tackles for loss. They're the eighth-ranked team in the country in turnovers gained. Number two in interceptions. And, Josh, maybe the most important category of all, they're number two in scoring defense, allowing 8.5 points per game. Meanwhile, over the last 30 years, 30 years of Oklahoma Sooner football, the 34 points allowed is the fewest. The fewest over the first four games. They've allowed 34 points. And the um, the 2000 National Championship team had allowed 17 points more at this point. Now we can nerd out and we can go to numbers and say, but look who they played here and there. That's right. Better competition maybe in 2000 than they've had here in 23. I don't know. But I'll say it over and over until I'm blue in the face. That was a good rushing offense that they played on Saturday. That was a really good rushing offense they played on Saturday. They did a good job shutting it down. Defense is legit. And now you get Reggie Pearson back healthy, you hope, this week. You get back, well, I don't don't know if you're going to get back Justin Harrington. We'll see about Jaron Kanick and kind of what his situation is after this weekend. Just such a really, really good time to have a defensive mindset for Oklahoma Sooner football. Really good time. Anything else that I left out, Josh, that you wanted to throw in here in five takeaways from Cert Day? Yeah, and and this will be a familiar takeaway, but Danny Stutzman's just incredible. And, and I know that's nothing new, but for him to continue doing what he's doing, again, uh, I don't think this is hyperbole. And obviously, he he, like everyone, will have a good chance to totally – change or in some ways change and in some ways just validate right how we feel about this football team versus texas but man right now i think he's gonna win the buckus award it's looking good right oh uh one thing i had to laugh (laughs) this jim and arlington had sent kind of a i think tongue-in-cheek text to the knippelmeyer chevrolet text line said oh they're still letting you do let me make sure i read this right so i give jim his proper credit here uh, they're still letting you do coach's corner. It wasn't cut whenever they stopped doing the Monday press conference. I Listen, I wish that they – that the coordinator yeah, – here it is. Jim wrote, oh, are they still doing and allowing coach's corner? I figured it was axed also with the Monday coordinator's press conference. You never know. Go figure. The coordinators Go. can't be accountable, Plank. They're skipping out. They spend 20 minutes with the media after the game, <laughs> if not longer. They do a press conference literally right after the game. And then you turn around and you want more on Monday? Yeah, I get it. It's fine. I have no problem with it. They've got to do a lot. 
You have an offense, and not every coordinator does press conferences after games in college football. Some of them wait until Monday. And if people want that, okay, fine. But to me, it's like, all right. I think they're still going to do post-practice avails if necessary. Yeah, it really is a nothing burger, but the only problem I think OU made here is they started the season doing it again, and now they're yeah, sure. pivoting. Yeah. And it, it just, for some, is not going to look oh, great, right? You know, but, but, hey, their time is valuable, and they don't have to do those media availabilities. Again, no. I think it's a nothing burger, but I, I get where some of the pushback is Oh, I get where people from. are going to be mad about it. And also it's funny because there will be people in the media that will tell you, oh, don't complain about that stuff, but then – like a 15-minute media veil will be taken away, and they'll pretend like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. It's like, oh, gosh. What, now? We don't have this? That sucks for me, too. It takes away a podcast. <laughs> it takes away about 5,000 downloads. <laughs> but but it's all good. All right, uh, Emma Jones is here. I got to go. Josh, have a great rest of the show. You Those too, man. Have a great day. Those are takeaways from Monday. You can always hit us up. Show never stops on Twitter at Plank Show and Josh on Rep or the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet, which is loaded with a reaction. And coming up next, right here on the Home of Sooner Fans. Hour number three, we are back with you on the Home of Sooner Fans. This is the Plank Show. Hour number three brought to us by Mop and Roofing. Mop and Roofing and Construction, they've got you covered, Oklahoma. Call Bob Moppin and his team number to call 405 703 3843 Mop and Roofing. A full-service company, family-owned and operated with over 35 years of experience, insurance specialists that can help with fire and flood remediation work, fully insured, licensed, and bonded mop and roofing. Again, uh, give them a call, 405-703-3843. Josh Helmer welcoming in, as we do on Mondays when Plank shuffles out for Coach's Corner we got Paz in the house. Mr. Connor Pazby. Good morning, Connor. Good morning, Josh. How was, how was the weekend? It was great. Uh, you tell me, man. You were in start to finish, pregame, postgame. What, uh, what was the reaction in the postgame show? What was sort of the general consensus out there? Well, people are really excited about how the defense looked Saturday. So we've been getting all positive so far early on in the year, which is uh, uh, exactly what we want for the postgame show, which the defense was uh, phenomenal. Uh, Saturday night made so many plays uh, constantly get off the field when the offense was struggling it was just it was beautiful to see that what about for you uh, I, I you know that that was sort of right the collective takeaway from Sooner fans in the postgame show and obviously again you were front and center for that but uh, w- what about for you I mean anything in particular a couple of players couple of plays the game itself what stood out for you yeah, I mean, I think the front seven in general for OU, and then once again, Danny Stutzman uh, stood out all over the field. Uh, once again, constantly got pressure in the backfield, uh, made some plays. On a third third down, he had that tipped ball, dropped back in coverage. Man, it's just it's fun to watch him play linebacker right now. You know, one uh, note that was scrolling on, well, ESPN, Fox, wherever. I, I, I think it was ESPN probably where I saw it for the first time, but uh, – no small feat, right, that uh, Oklahoma is 4-0 and for the 42nd time in program history. And uh, the, the notes I'm looking at right here says the 16th time since 2000 from uh, the release that OU put out. But uh, ESPN or on TV, I was, they were scrolling that it was the 17th time in the last uh, 23 years for Oklahoma. But, you know, 16, 17, whatever it is. Oklahoma, by and large, 
has has done this right where they've started four and zero or uh, better to uh, begin the year. So mission accomplished. Went on the road, got it done versus Cincinnati, who, uh, as compared to the summer, maybe is is better in some ways than we were expecting. I'm not trying to act like this was uh, a top fifteen road win for Oklahoma, but uh, twenty to six, first legitimate road test of the season from where I'm standing. What Oklahoma did defensively, the fact that uh, again, there's no stumble here. Before the Texas game, knock on wood, it doesn't look like. Take care of business this week against Iowa State. Man, I feel pretty pleased for the most part with Oklahoma. Yeah, I feel good if you take care of business against Iowa State, then, man, we will gear up for OU Texas this time. It could be potentially a top-ten matchup. We'll see how OU performs against Iowa State, but it's going to be one of the biggest uh, Red River rivalries we've seen in a while. Here's some of the other post-game nuggets and uh, notes for you. The the Sooners, 32 of their last 39 true road games that they've won, dating back to 2014, and uh, they've outgained their opponent in 31 of those last 39 true road games. But more important to this season and this OU team, Oklahoma's allowed only three touchdowns this season. They have uh, given up zero touchdowns in 14 of the 16 quarters they've played. And offensively, OU's only been uh, held scoreless in one of the 16 quarters this season. So just uh, three touchdowns and 34 points that Oklahoma's allowed this season. And I believe they're second nationally right now in scoring defense. I'm have to check, but yes, you are. They're just shut, shutting down teams through these first four games. So it's to me, it's so... The biggest takeaway is this. The, the offense, we can have uh, questions with the way they're running the football. Dylan Gabriel, the discussion, we had a we had a, a lot of discussion on Dylan Gabriel, Connor, in hour number two about are there problems there? Can Oklahoma, basically, can they do what Oklahoma fans want this season with Dylan Gabriel as the quarterback? Can they win a Big 12 championship? I, I think all of this basically is about not this week but next week for OU and then obviously progressing forward. But can OU go beat Texas with Dylan Gabriel at quarterback? I'd like to believe that they can. And uh, and so there's there's some questions, right? Why why the miss to Farouk over the top? The, the most alarming play to me was the play that almost turns into the scoop and score where you're pressured a little bit, you expect that running back to be your safety valve over there, and you get happy feet and you just chuck it that way. And that could have been a game-altering play that you really just can't have. No. If it's the Cotton Bowl in, let's still call it two weeks, or any of these road tests down the, the pipe for Oklahoma, can't have that play from your quarterback. So I see that. I understand the concerns with it. I still tend to be optimistic or more glass half full that I think by and large what we've seen from Dylan Gabriel has been pretty doggone good for Oklahoma. I'm trying to remain glass half full that the running game is going to get its uh, issues straightened out. And it again, the largest takeaway for me is we've been for so long hoping that Oklahoma could go win games ugly. I think great teams have to win games ugly at times. Oklahoma did that. On Saturday, on the road, 
in a, a Nippert Stadium environment to where it's their first ever Big 12 game, Connor, and they are chomping at the bit to send the villains out of the Big 12 with a, a big fat L in what was Cincinnati's first Big 12 game. And Oklahoma didn't let that happen, really in large part because the defense at times bit. But uh, contrary to last season, didn't break, right? Forced punts, forced field goals. So the biggest takeaway is that this defense clearly is improved. How improved? Okay, we're going to continue to find out that answer. Is it improved enough to where Oklahoma can go beat Texas, win this conference, go to the college football playoff? Who knows? Win a college football playoff game or go win a national championship? No, I'm not ready to go there yet. But uh, I do think that, no doubt, absolutely it's improved from a season ago. It's so obvious that it's improved from a season ago. Well, games like that, 20-6, to 6, are much better than what we're used to, the 44-38, to 38, getting a shootout. Uh, it's better for Oklahoma to – sometimes you just have to win one ugly when the offense isn't there and your defense uh, for sure came to play against Cincinnati. But I'm not surprised that the Dylan Gabriel talk has come back after the two uh, overthrows. I'll – Oh, my gosh. He was still efficient. I mean, if you take that away, he still made some impressive throws on the night. He had that one fumble. But he's still, trust me, he's still good enough to win you some of these big games. Oklahoma, in this game, holds Cincinnati to 376 total yards, 4.8 yards per play, which, you know, not not just this earth-shattering performance, but the important one's the six in the scoring column, right? And uh, some key takeaways. The uh, interception was really, really nice. And uh, the the rushing defense. It looks like Oklahoma's really improved in that regard. Cincinnati enters the game number eight nationally, 240 yards rushing per game. And Oklahoma holds them 100 yards below that figure. That's big-time stuff. No, I know. They didn't have really, like, breakaway long runs from Cincinnati Saturday. So we could focus on the negatives for Oklahoma or the, I don't know about that, for Oklahoma. And that's fair. It's, it's OU football, and the standard is to go win Big 12 championships and then national championships. So every piece of the puzzle is going to get scrutinized for OU. For a moment, though, I'm going to live uh, in the glass half full portion of the equation and think that we're seeing signs that OU, yes, can go beat Texas – this uh, week after next, and then go win this conference and do what it's done for a long, long time in the Big 12, which is be the standard bear of this league. But a lot of these concerns with Gabriel, with the rushing attack, all of it, I do think boils back to a little bit of a fear that, hey, is it good enough to go beat Texas next week? And so much of this, as we've been saying, dating back to the end of last season and really throughout the bulk of the offseason unfortunately the schedule being what it is Connor we just aren't going to have definitive answers or answers that we can all collectively tugging on the same rope feel good about until you go do it versus Texas yeah outside Texas we're trying to figure out that uh really the third best team in the Big 12 well Kansas versus Texas this week and we'll get a good matchup with that but yeah outside of Texas it's really hard to tell uh going up against some of these other teams yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a rough, really rough year for the Big Twelve, in my opinion. It looks like OU Texas and uh, everybody else. Obviously, we got a a long way to to go on that front. I would uh, put the KU Texas game in uh, much more dangerous territory for Texas than 
Oklahoma, Iowa State. Cyclones kind of sort of figured some things out offensively this week, but uh, is that just a matter, and I think it is, of Oklahoma State's stinky, stinky bad this season? You got to be alert to it, though, right? You got to, and, and ultimately, I think it's good for Oklahoma that that happened for uh, Iowa State this week for OU. But we're doing a break. Let's keep rolling along. We got so much, man, on the text line from all of you guys out there on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line 405 651 3439. Let's hit some of those next and uh, more of Connor's takeaways as well from the win that was 20 to 6. OU beats Cincinnati. Rolling along next, it's the Plank Show right here, home of Sooner fans. I'll go ahead and raise my hand on this as we welcome you back. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line 405 651 3439. I don't get all the Texas talk when the game's two weeks away. Are we just assuming Iowa State is going to be an easy win? Yes, I am assuming that. Now, uh, I think they're very bad. The uh, Sooners, I hope, don't assume that, and they got to go earn it. And defensively, I, I do think, uh, by and large, it's a pretty good Iowa State defense. But uh, I'm not out over my skis that suddenly Mr. Becht and uh, Jalen Noel and Iowa State offensively have figured everything out. Oklahoma, if Oklahoma is who we think Oklahoma is this season – Yes, should win comfortably at home over Iowa State. Defensively, I think you should have a field day, force a bunch of turnovers. Right now, anything uh, two touchdowns or more that OU surrenders versus Iowa State, I'm going to term as a disappointing performance with the caveat that, okay, let's say that it's not directly set up by, say, a short field off a turnover. There's some things that could happen. Block punt, right? There's different things that could happen where it sets Iowa State up right in business and then they they go score or whatever. I don't expect very much. Having watched a decent bit of Iowa State this season, that is right now not a good offensive football team. Last week aside, don't let, don't let last week – fool you versus Oklahoma State. They have some pretty serious offensive shortcomings. And with what Oklahoma's doing defensively, yes, this should be a fairly comfortable win for the Sooners. Old Iowa State, didn't they put up a zero spot heading into the fourth quarter against the University of Ohio, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, it was brutal. (laughs) They were horrible. Absolutely horrible. Now, hey, some signs of life for them. Some signs of life for them versus Oklahoma State. But uh, the standard I'm going to hold Oklahoma to versus Iowa State is they're not doing a bunch of uh, productive things offensively this week. So it should be go make it cruise control heading into the Red River game. Yeah, make it I, look that way. And I think the Cincinnati offense that you just faced is a whole lot better than what Iowa State shows on the field. So, yeah, you should definitely hold them uh, under two scores, 10, 13 maybe. I – Fully suspect, and I hope that it doesn't play out this way, but I fully suspect that the offense is not going to at times look great against Iowa State because, again, defensively, they're pretty good. So I expect Iowa State to come away with a couple of forced punts here and there, maybe a turnover that doesn't look all that great for Oklahoma. But my expectation for this week, again, for OU is they're going to defensively shut Iowa State down. They should do that if uh, this Oklahoma defense is, uh, again, what we think it is. But we got a, we got a ton here on the text line, not uh, Iowa State or Texas specific, just really kind of 
from this past weekend what uh, what fans thought. If Cincinnati is DG's off game, I'll take that 10 times out of 10. The defense has been amazing through four weeks, and if it stays that way, I'm much happier than uh, I am having shootouts with teams week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't even say that's DG's off game. I know some people were talking about it on some of those uh, missed throws that uh, DG had, but, man, he was still good in that football game, very efficient. Yeah, I'll take that any day, a DG game like that, especially when you have a defense uh, that's constantly getting off the field and getting the ball back to you, for sure. When you have a rushing defense, this is uh, from Softball Steve, when you have a rushing defense who can actually wreck havoc in the backfield consistently, then the end results, Connor, are positive. That's what's been standing out, too, with this Oklahoma defense. They got some... The D-line and some of those linebackers, they are constantly getting tackles in the backfield. Been a lot of negative plays for opponents running the football. Honolulu Sooner. Kip Lewis. Don't recall any ref buzz on him prior to Cincy. He looks like he was solid for the time he played. Three solo tackles. Is he going to be a TFL blitzer or a pass defense package? Well, he's, didn't, didn't he come in for Kanick when Kanick went down? He, he saw a lot more. Yeah, and he, he had done some nice things no, over he the has, first three yeah. weeks. He's very young. I mean, he's a young kid, but, man, he's extremely athletic. Came in and uh, played some Cheetah, did he not, the week before? No, he did, yeah. No, so he's uh, – yeah, he's done some nice things. He's done some nice things. Oklahoma's just got more depth. Linebacker, defensive backfield than they've had in a long, long time. Yeah, Brazilian Sooner says, thought Stutzman not being preseason all Big 12th was laughable. Glad he's proven them all wrong. Yeah, I mean, that right now. That blows my mind. <laughs> right now, it does look silly, and he's playing. I mean, he's elevated his game. He was the Big 12's leading tackler a season ago, and yet there was sort of, I think understandably, a perception of, okay, he's got to take it up another notch. Yeah. Well, he had all those tackles, but he also had, we know, he had some mistakes out there as well, but you're not seeing that at all this year. He's constantly in the right spot and constantly around the football. Three and a half TFLs for Stutzman and another sack. So, yeah, 13 tackles. He's flying all over the place. He's, right now, when is the last time that we could say the best player on Oklahoma's football team was a defensive player? Because right now, Danny Stutzman is Oklahoma's no, yeah, best he player. Is. He, no, yeah, he is. And there's really no discussion on that. I think you, you got to go back a ways, yes. I mean, all the way to uh, I mean, <laughs> Gerald McCoy? <laughs> you, yeah, I, I would say so, yeah. And even then, you know, Oklahoma had uh, a situation going where maybe you could have a debate about was McCoy the best. But, I mean, McCoy's really, really good. Then I'm just saying that, you know, you had, what, Gresham and Bradford and, yeah. you know, a bunch of things going on. Uh, in terms of uh, the talent. But right now, Danny Stutzman is absolutely the best player on this football team. And, you know, from where I'm sitting, that's pretty refreshing for OU. Yeah, he stepped up his game. I think he's improved a lot in pass coverage. That's something that uh, maybe wasn't as great last year, but now he's uh, much better at that. Heck, he had that pick six uh, against Tulsa the week before. We are due. One final timeout, and we'll come back, and we'll bow tie this thing. It's the Plank Show right here on The Ref. One final time, we're back with you. Plank Show brought to you in our number three by Mop and Roofing. Final thoughts here, presented by Primrose. Oklahoma again, 4-0 for the 42nd time in program history. And, well, I don't know, a little 
I'm going to trust that the actual official postgame notes are right from OU. 16th time they've been 4-0 since 2000. So, pretty crazy. That's the most nationally, by the way. I don't think I said that earlier. Nobody else uh, oh, has Oh, it done, is? First yeah. Nash- okay. Over that time span, that's, that's the best of uh, anybody. And obviously this year, the non-conference schedule, we, we all get it. It wasn't uh, what it's been in years past for Oklahoma. But, hey, 4-0, I'm going to take it. Yeah. That, that's a tough road advice. That looked pretty awesome at Cincinnati. It was. And, and, you know, that was the first time this season that Oklahoma trailed. And after, what, the, the Gabriel fumble and Cincinnati drives down, crowds going crazy, the first sign there, and it wound up being the theme all day, Oklahoma's defense tightened things up, forced the kick, and instead of a touchdown, Cincinnati gets a field goal. And it winds up being, what, the third time in four games that OU doesn't allow a first-half touchdown. So, this Oklahoma defense, man, I know that they've got some questions to answer again this week. Keep doing it against an Iowa State offense that, for the most part, has been pretty stinky bad. And then the big test will be Texas. But uh, the growth that they've made from last season to this, so far, has been pretty impressive. Has been pretty impressive and is worth celebrating. The rush defense and then being able to get off the field on third downs. You don't have to worry about those uh, third and longs, wondering if you're going to give up a long play, Josh. You can you can just count on this secondary to make plays. Largely because of this defense, a true road game that because of the fumble and everything early could have gotten a little sideways or nasty on Oklahoma, wound up being relatively stress-free. So I'm feeling good, man. Undefeated and bring on Iowa State. Hey, that's it for us. For Connor, for Plank, I'm Josh. Until tomorrow, don't go anywhere. Steel Man and Thune at noon next.